0: Mm-hmm. Luke, one of the pastors here. Hello to everyone at all all of our campuses or online. Have you seen the movie Patch Adams? See, I was about 20 years old now. Uh, it was It's a true story. I'll take this off for a second. Um, Hunter Patch Adams is a real guy. He, his character was played by Robin Williams in the movie. Uh, the character, you get to a sense really early on, he's kind of this unconventional type, a little countercultural. And the, it chronicles his life as he enters into medical school. And when he gets into this medical world and system, he's not at all content with the status quo. Uh, a, a system that he observes to be rather cold, sterile, calloused in the way that patient care is approached. She observed several aspiring doctors to kind of be more concerned about prestige and rank and status than they are actually trying to help people. There's kind of this stuffed shirt mentality uh, where doctors are uh, very interested in attaining scientific knowledge and medical knowledge, but they're not so much interested in getting to know and connect with their patients. Well, Patch Adams decides to take a different approach, and this is embodied in particular in this one scene where he enters a children's cancer ward. So you can imagine the environment is kind of sectioned off in this other part of the hospital, a cold, sterile, depressing kind of a place, rows of beds, kids laying there, bald heads staring at the ceiling, expressionless faces under fluorescent lights. And one day, Patch comes in there, unassigned, unannounced, and he goes over to the first bed, and after a brief hello, he, his imagination starts to take over, and he goes to the tray right on the side, and he grabs one of those red suction bulbs and, and some scissors, and then before you know it, he's, uh, he's got a clown nose on much to the delight of the child in the bed. And then just like that, he's in. He's made a connection. There's light in the eyes, a smile on the face. Joy begins to emerge. And that only has him going back to the medical instruments, not to deploy them for their intended purpose, but as uh, props in his comedy routine as he begins going around the room and getting more attention from the other children in their beds. And he's buzzing like a bee and clucking like a chicken, egged on by their laughter. And he's acting in a way that's totally unbecoming for a medical professional, eventually taking a bedpan, putting it on his head, as a cowboy hat and riding an IV pole around the room. And the place is just going bananas. They're having a great time, this big ruckus, kids laughing and cheering. Now, look, it's not that he doesn't have scientific knowledge or medical expertise that could help them. He does, and he will share that with them. But first, he wants to share himself. He's not so much concerned about the distinction between doctor, patient, healthy, sick, not worried about maintaining clinical distance. No, he's trying to bridge a gap. And make a connection. And as a result, the whole environment is transformed. This place of despair is now bubbling with joy and laughter. Kids who are sectioned off in this one area of the hospital now feel included. They're known. Someone sees them and notices them and cares for them. Someone with the white coat, that supreme echelon of hospital society has descended to get down on their level and meet them where they are and look them in the eye and know their name and bless them. And everything in you when you're watching that scene says, yes, that's beautiful. The world should work more like that. I want more of that. People should be more like that. Even if you're one of those stuffed shirt people, as you're observing that, you have to at least acknowledge that there's something powerful going on. Something real is happening there. As the outsiders are included, the lonely are embraced, and people are lifted, a place of despair is transformed. Here's why we're talking about that. It's not because of Patch Adams, but because long before Patch Adams, there was another man who lived a rather unconventional, countercultural life. And he was not at all content with the status quo of a system that defined how people should be treated, who should be valued, what was important. And he lived in a way that was compelling and attractive and powerful in the way that he lifted the lowly and embraced the outsider and brought joy to the hopeless and included the marginalized. I'm talking about Jesus. And in particular, the way that children featured so prominently in Jesus' life. And mission. You see, we're in this series called This Is Us. You've been paying attention. And we're trying to define this community called Mountain, some of the hallmarks that identify us, uh, some of our mantras that, that we live by. This is a church where we're about mission first. We always want to be people who stay humble and stay hungry for more of what God would do. A good way to describe this community, we're just a bunch of broken people helping broken people. These are things that define us. And you know, these aren't things that we made up. We, in a sense, didn't even choose these things. They chose us. In other words, God has laid down a calling for his church, for his people. He said, here is my love. Here's my grace. I give it to you as you receive it. As you become my people, let me show you what it looks like to be my people. And what he shows us is Jesus, to be able to see Jesus. As I'm trying to figure out, how do I define my life? What should the hallmarks of my life be? What is this church thing all about? The the answers to those questions are found in Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus today. In the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are books of the Bible written by people who were so compelled and attracted by Jesus that they just had to capture what they saw. And so they produced these uh, biographies, in essence, these collection of snapshots of Jesus' life. We'll be looking in the book of Mark, if you have a Bible, Mark chapters 9 and 10. If you have a Bible, Mark 9 and 10 might be helpful to turn there or bring it up on your phone. If you're watching Jesus in the book of Mark, by now you understand Jesus has become known. Okay? People know who he is. He's been traveling from town to town, across the countryside, teaching with authority. And then matching that teaching with these displays of power over nature. Uh, power to heal the sick, power to drive out demons. There, there's something going on with this Jesus Person. And people are attracted to him and flocking to him, and you get a sense that he is a revolutionary type. He's challenging the, the uh, religious order, and he is perceived as a threat to the power structures of the day. He is this uh, powerful, revolutionary type figure, and people are intrigued. And some people are angered and repulsed. So you get the, the pro-Jesus people and the anti-Jesus people, and you get a sense in the book of Mark that things are coming to a head. Now you can imagine being on the pro-Jesus side. You, you get a sense that if this revolution is going to happen, it's going to happen soon. And so you start licking your chops like we're going to ride in. Jesus is going to take over, kick butt. We're going to take names and be riding shotgun to Jesus as he does his thing. That's the anticipation that's starting to build. And what happens in Jesus' closest followers, his disciples, uh, they see, they sense what's about to happen And they begin posturing and positioning themselves in what they believe is sort of a pecking order. Like, if Jesus is going to come in and take over this piece, well, then we're going to kind of leverage that for our advantage. We're going to use it for personal advancement. They're posturing themselves and thinking this way. Any of us would be, right? And when Jesus recognizes what's going on here, he says, it's time for me to teach. And so that's what he does in Mark chapter nine. He came, Jesus came with his disciples to a place called Capernaum and they were inside a house and eventually Jesus asked them, hey, when we were walking here, what was that that you were talking about? And they're a little embarrassed and they're kind of like, oh, nothing, you know, just, you know, Super Bowl, uh, whatever. Actually, I think it says they were talking about who was the greatest. That must have been Tom Brady that they were talking. Oh man, Ravens fans. Oh, it's like, did he just curse in church? Oh man, whoa. No, that's not what they were talking about. They were posturing themselves. And so Jesus sat him down, and he called the 12 and said to them, look, if any one of you wants to be first, you want to advance yourself, then you've got to be the last of all and the servant of all. And then he, and he grabbed a child and brought him up and had him stand in front of his disciples. And, and he took him in his arms, and he said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name, welcomes me, and doesn't just welcome me, but welcomes the one who sent me. So here's Jesus placing a child right at the center of his teaching, right at the center of his agenda. And he's talking his, to his disciples and saying, I know you got your sight set on all of these big things, but let me help you locate what I'm about. I'm not about trying to create or become part of this white coat society. I'm about service. Serving particularly those who haven't made something of themselves, who don't measure up, who may in fact be small in stature like this little child. But I want you to know that this child is important to me. He may be small, but he's a big deal to me. Are kids a big deal to you? Speaking of big deal, Jesus in Mark chapter 10, he starts to move down toward a different area where Jerusalem is. And if you know Jesus' story, the biggest thing in his story is about to happen in Jerusalem, his death and resurrection. And so Jesus starts to move with his disciples that way and the crowds are following them and he continues to teach them on the way. And in Mark chapter 10, uh, here's what happens. It says, as that was going on, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to touch them. But the disciples scolded everyone that was trying to do it. Get the kids away. Don't bother the master right now. And Jesus is like, what? No, what are you doing? Stop. No, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. The kingdom of God belongs to kids like this. He said, I tell you the truth. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and blessed them. On the way, to the climax of his mission, the biggest thing that he'll ever do. The most pivotal, uh, important moment in all of history was out there in front of him when Jesus would break us free from the curse of sin and death by his own death and resurrection. On the way toward that, Jesus takes time to sit down and welcome the little children and bless them. What do you have to do? What do I have to do that is so important that I don't have time for a child? And Jesus doesn't even do anything all that extravagant here. I mean, at other points in his ministry, he has healed sick children. He's driven out spirits from children. He's even raised children from the dead. And all he's doing here is sitting down, welcoming them into his arms, Blessing them with a touch, with a look in the eye, speaking their name, letting them know someone cares for them. Someone sees them. They're noticed. Their heavenly Father who put breath in their lungs cares for them. Someone from the most supreme echelon in all of society, and all of the universe, has descended to meet them at their level. Make a connection. Look them in the eye and bless them. And everything in you, when you see Jesus doing that, says, yes, that's beautiful. I want more of that. I want to be a part of a world like that. People should be like that all the time. I want to be around Jesus. He's so compelling. Even if you're repulsed by him, you have to acknowledge there is something powerful going on there, something compelling in the way that he cares for and lifts the lowly and embraces the outsider and loves and blesses children. And if any, of, any part of you is compelled by that, then you might fit in around here, because it brings us today to another mountain mantra, hallmark of this community, and that is we love kids like Jesus. We love kids. We invest in kids like Jesus. We prioritize kids like Jesus. Babies, young children, elementary, preteens, teenagers, middle schoolers, and high schoolers, we love Kids, we notice kids, we see them, we include them, we equip them, we put courage in them, we release them, we bless them, we love kids, this is us, this is who we are. I was blessed to grow up in a church that was compelled by the example they saw in Jesus and sought to live it out and create a community like what I've described. Mine is not a story of someone who was kind of left and walking a dark, hopeless path and then had this dramatic turn uh, and redemption. I love those stories. Um, It's just not mine. The redemptive work of God in my life has happened uh, very much through a loving community and people uh, who have poured into me and invested in me and helped me know what is true and helped me know that I'm loved and set me on a path. Pointing me toward Jesus, I remember I preached my first sermon at my home church i'd grown up was twenty something and I preached on timothy it 's kind of a biographical look at timothy 's life he 's someone in the Bible, two letters in the New Testament, first and second Timothy. They were written by Paul, who was this monster uh, church planter and leader, and he had kind of taken Timothy under his wing and had they had sort of a father son relationship or a coach player kind of relationship. And uh, I saw myself as kind of a Timothy, someone who was young and had been blessed by lots of people and now was trying to find my own way and take hold of my own calling. There's some things that Paul says to Timothy that I just w- were, was so drawn to. One of the times Paul says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But you set an example for the people in speech and conduct and faith and the purity of your life. And if Paul was speaking to our Young people today in our church, you would say the same thing. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But you set an example for other people in speech and in the way that you live your life. You're not too young to do that. You take what you have received and you start to live it out. And you are an example and a witness to the church and to the wider world. Sometimes we talk about young people like you're the future leaders of our country. You're the future of our church. And I suppose all of that's true. But you're leaders now. You're the church now, not just the church of tomorrow. And so don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. You take what you are receiving, absorb, and uh, let let God's word and God's truth sink into you so that you can live it out as an example to your peers and to us adults who are trying to figure it out ourselves. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. At another place, Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what I have taught you, what I have passed on to you, you take and pass it on to other reliable people who will be entrusted to teach others, who then can teach others. And he's, he's uh, promoting, he's installing, he's acknowledging this generational path of disciple making. I have bless you. I've shared with you everything I can. You take that. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But you be faithful with that and you pass it on to other people who will be equipped to pass it on to other people. When our church is at its best, it is living out exactly this kind of process and this model where we are handing on to the next generation what we know and what we've learned, blessing them, empowering them, equipping them, and then they are taking hold of that and passing it on and passing it on and the church's mission moves forward and people are drawn to Jesus and find their calling and their purpose and live it out in that way. We do that because we love kids. We prioritize kids, we see kids and we include them in the life of the church and in God's mission. I think it's important to help us get a sense for how that Uh, That value takes shape and is expressed in our community. I'm going to invite some people out here to help. Hillary and Kimberly, if you could come out. Uh, Hillary McClellan is on our staff, our Mountain Kids staff, and Kimberly Seifert has been involved in student ministry for a long time. Uh, I'd like to invite them to give some of their perspective. seems like you could welcome them warmly and do that. Thank you for being here. This is Hillary McClellan and Kimberly Seifert. Uh, Hilary, I was just talking about Timothy, and I, I kind of see um, some Timothy in you in the sense that you're young, relatively speaking. You have had people investing in you, and now you're taking what you have been given and shaping and investing in the lives of children as part of our staff staff team. Would you say a little bit more about what has gotten you to this place?
1: Yeah, so I grew up uh, in a Christian home a lot like, uh, and go into a church a lot like Mountain. But my parents uh, didn't. They had no church background. They didn't meet Jesus or heard about Jesus until uh, later after they were married. But when uh, they did and they were baptized, they knew they wanted to raise their family in the church. But they struggled a long time uh, with infertility. But they had their church family praying for them. They dove into uh, A missional community and they dove into serving and finally um, seven years into their marriage I was born and my sister came along shortly after that Um, so my family was great my parents modeled the love for the Lord Uh, my parents loved each other and my sister and I were confident that they loved us too but when I was eight years old my dad had a heart attack um, unexpectedly and he died instantly in our home and so my safe good world uh, was flipped upside down Um, But it was the first time I saw the weight of brokenness and sin, but it was also the first time I really experienced the church do what the church was supposed to do. Our church family, along with our biological family, they, they wrapped their arms around us and they supported my mom, my sister, and me uh, through that difficult journey. My sister's small group leader during her second grade year, she she had separation anxiety. And so her small group leader would come to school and eat lunch with her once a week, every week for an entire year. Uh, for me, my grief came out in a lot of anger and frustration. I was mad at God, but my kid's pastor still invested in me, still spoke God's truth in me and loved me and brought me to a place and challenged me to use my gifts and my leadership abilities. So I started serving as a small group leader when I was a freshman for little girls um, and was able to be a large group teacher too. So countless small group leaders, countless pastors really just really showed us God's love and what the church was all about. And they're why I do what I do today.
0: Amen. So you're on our staff, Mountain Kids staff. We're with hundreds of volunteers mm-hmm. to um, to shape and invest in kids. And we're talking about kids birth through fifth grade. Mm-hmm. That's what Mountain Kids is designed for. Would you say a little bit more about what we're trying to do? What are the key aspects of Mountain Kids?
1: Yeah, Mountain Kids mission is the same as Mountain's mission. We're making more and better disciples. They're just shorter. Maybe little disciples. <laughs> they're littler. Like the yes. teacher says. Yep. Yes. Um, So our programming is designed for their age. It's full of fun and games. We do praise and worship music. We have our Bible story time. We have offering and communion, and we have small group time for our preschool and elementary kids. Even the littlest babies in the nursery are being prayed over and sung over. Uh, Kids in our special needs classes are getting one-on-one interaction with adults who love them and value them. So we know our volunteers, man, they're how we get to do what we get to do. They, they have our mission. They get it. They know that their time is so valuable. Their words and their stories and their experiences, experiences they're sharing are so valuable in the lives of our kids. Uh, we just know that we got to speak God's truth into them. We want them to know that God loves them, God made them, and Jesus can be their friend forever. And before they move on to student ministries, we want to make sure they know that they can trust God no matter what, and they know how to make wise choices, and they know that they should treat others the way Jesus calls us to treat them.
0: And another important element of what we're trying to do is help parents, equip Mm -hmm. parents as the primary spiritual leaders of children. Talk about some of the ways that we're doing that.
1: Yeah, we have to admit, um, statistically speaking, us as the church, we have about 45 hours in an entire year to invest in the lives of kids with the way church attendance is, and so but parents have that in a week. And so we know our vision to move our mission forward is to partner with parents, to give them the tools and the resources and the encouragement they need to be that um, primary spiritual leader. So we have a parent app. It's the Parent queue where... Um, Parents have access to the Bible lessons that we're teaching, the memory verses that we're encouraging our kids to memorize as talking points to do while you're driving in the car, while you're getting ready for school, getting ready to go to sleep at night. Just some really great resources and tools. Uh, to communicate God's truth and to reinforce what they're learning on a weekend uh, to their kids. We also have the phase books that are at every resource center at Mountain because it's just a phase. Every phase of a child's life from birth through 12th grade, it's a prayer journal that you get to walk through and pray through. Um, it's got talking points for hard conversations to make faith stick, how to deal with each phase of life as your kids are, developmental, are growing and developing uh, spiritually and socially. And it's just yeah. a really awesome resource that we want to point parents to. Yeah,
0: I love the phase stuff. We've taught on that here. Mm-hmm. It's just a phase. So
1: don't miss it.
0: So don't miss it. Don't and miss it. I, I love the, the punchline to mm-hmm. that. Sometimes uh, we just endure through it or wish it away, but we try to make the most of every phase our child goes through. So parents or not, as to the adults in the room, what are the most important opportunities that we have to make an impact in the lives of kids?
1: Yeah. So kids are asking the questions, am I worth it? Who can I trust? Am I safe? Am I loved? And so we have an amazing opportunity as parents, as small group leaders, as the church, to wrap our arms around them and to speak God's truth in them, to make sure they know How God sees them before the brokenness of the world dictates the way they see themselves. For parents, that means your kids are watching everything you do. They're watching the way you model your love for the Lord. They're watching the way you treat your spouse. They're watching how you spend your time and how you spend your money and the types of words that come out of your mouth and their tone. So you have amazing opportunity to model God's love to them. And so being conscious of that, and for others of us who aren't parents... Or our kids are all grown up and we're empty nesters. We're not exempt from the mission and the call to love kids. So what that means is identify someone to invest in. Whether it's a grandchild or a niece or a nephew. Whether it's someone in your neighborhood or here at Mountain Kids or in student ministries or sponsoring a child. Whatever it is. You have stories and experiences and wisdom to share. And your time is so valuable. As kids get older, um, they lose that trust. The world pushes against them, and their, and their trust starts to go down. And so the more adults pouring into them, the more adults speaking God's truth into a child, the more their faith is going to stick.
0: Yeah, I've heard something like it takes five adults pouring into the life mm-hmm. of one child to make faith stick. I don't, you know, don't Google the stat. I don't know. If something like it is true, for sure. Uh, and so, yeah, critical role, deposits the, the that we can make. Thank you uh, for doing what you do. And Kimberly, your primary, primary investment has been in student ministries. you got the shirt on and everything. And so talking about kids from 6th to 12th grade, say a little bit more about how you've been involved with students. Um,
2: I started in student ministries in 2000 with a small group of high school girls. And then I grabbed another group of girls they, um, when they were in third grade and went through with them. They graduated in 2015 from high school. And then I started another group of girls in first grade, and they are currently in seventh grade. Um, I um, help out with small groups and large groups, and we do missions trips and retreats, and I open my home.
0: So when you say you've been involved, you've been in. Like, I'm tired just thinking about that, <laughs> right? Uh been very invested. And we, we've invested in our ministry to students. It's at all four campuses now, kind of new, uh, every place, Sunday nights, rocking at every place. You've been a part of that and seen uh, some of those changes. As you think about all the experiences you've had with your girls uh, through that time, uh, of all those, what have been, what could you single out as some of the most meaningful and influential things that you've done that have helped them?
2: Well, you asked me that question, and I wanted to represent the girls well. So Mm -hmm. I asked some of the girls who um, graduated in 2015, and um, their answers and their lives and our relationship just blessed my heart. Some of the answers were um, they appreciated that I just love them exactly where they are. (laughs) They um, appreciate that I'm part of their lives. I go to their games, their basketball games, their soccer games, their plays, their recitals, Mm -hmm. um, their their graduations. Um, They appreciate that I spoke biblical truth. And they appreciated that I opened my heart and home.
0: Yeah, hey, amen. You have a story. I think you've got like this list. I Want to make you read it? Okay. Uh, at least one of them.
2: Okay. Um, you show you really care by showing up for events and taking time out of our already busy schedule just to catch up. You sit and listen to me talk for hours. Not only encourage, sympathize, but you also guide in truth with godly wisdom. You have taken time to know me, and then do things or think of things that match me perfectly. You show an example of God's generosity through your endless giving of your home, food, car rides, retreats, etc. You lead by example. You don't just talk, but you're a woman of action. You cheered me on in everything towards the pursuit of Christ, getting me plugged in at church, volunteering opportunities, artwork, etc., which makes my passion for kingdom work even greater and makes me believe that I can actually make a difference.
0: That's awesome. Mm. A humbling thing to receive Very those uh, Uh, Evidence, the testimony from your students. Talk about some of the challenges. I mean, it's hard. It's hard being anyone, I guess. But in particular, middle school and high school years, there are several challenges the students face. Talk about uh, some of those and how you have equipped and walked with your students.
2: They go through a lot. They um, they have to deal with social media, mental health issues, relationships issues, um, the the pressures of grades, divorce, and death. Several of our small group girls had to deal with um, deaths in their immediate family. And it was amazing to see the the group come together and the girls love each other and go to the funeral and write words of encouragement. And as far as equipping, God has truly equipped them. He's equipped them and showed them that they're not alone. They have each other. They have their family. They have their church family. And most of all, they have him.
0: And one of the things I always remind myself and all of us, when we're talking about, we're, we're about making disciples. And disciples aren't made overnight. People don't change overnight. We kind of have a quick fix society. But uh, it, we're in it for the long story. The long story of God's redeeming work in a person's life. You've been with these girls for a long time. Long enough to see those stories unfold. You've got girls that have graduated now. Uh, share with us some of what you've seen. Some of those stories that God is writing in the lives of these girls
2: proud mama moment. These girls are amazing. Um, One of the girls raised enough money to build a well for a village in Africa. Several of the girls have traveled all over the world serving the Lord. Some of the places they've been are Greece, Chile, Romania, the Dominican, Arizona, Philippines, Nicaragua, Japan, and that's just to name a few. They serve in, in children's ministry and in student ministry. They serve on their college campuses. They've all grown in their capacity to love. One of, the girl, one of the Yay God stories is one of the girls who came through student ministries years ago. Um, middle school and high school were really hard on her. Her parents got divorced. She struggled with depression, and she had an eating disorder. Her church rallied around her, and she um, had adults that loved her. And ultimately, she truly found her worth in God. And... Um, she came back around and she served in student ministry. She served with a small group of middle school girls and she felt like those experiences helped her minister to them. She's happily married. She's physically and mentally healthy. And um, she's actually a pastoral counselor. And now God uses her to help others.
0: Praise God for that. And, you know, it's fun to tell the story from that perspective, yeah. Mm -hmm. It is fun to, you know, see it in tell it on this end of it. But in the middle there, a lot of dark and difficult times where the rubber was meeting the road in your ministry and your group surrounding her and this church being the church in those places. And it's encouraging to see when it, like it works. It happens. Fruit is born. This investment matters and means something. And we have a, a special treat actually to hear some more testimony from some of our kids and, and feel like, you know what? It's happening. God's word is taking root and they're taking hold of it. Their faith is becoming real and they're living it out and they're leading in all different contexts of our world. And we get to hear from some of them. So listen, uh, watch the screen and listen to some of these stories.
1: Hey Mountain, my name is Jordan Reed. I grew up here at Mountain and for the past three years I served as an international campus minister in Pueblo, Mexico. My family and I recently moved back to the area, and we're excited to continue serving our community here in Abingdon. Thank you for investing in me, and thank you
0: for loving kids.
1: Hey, Mountain. My name is Kirsten Huggins, and I am leading FCA at my school and helping to bring athletes closer to Christ every day. Thank you so much for investing in me, and thank you so much for loving kids. Hey Mountain, my name is Jeremiah Dunn and I've been attending Mountain for the last four years. Now I'm doing student worship for God's Kingdom. Thank you for investing in me and thanks for loving kids.
2: Hey Mountain, my name is Anna Fife, and I've been growing God's Kingdom by serving in Mountain Kids and in the cafe, as well as singing for Echo and Collide. Thank you for investing in me and thank you for loving kids.
1: Hey Mountain, my name is Owen Smith. I'm a preschool large group leader at the Abingdon campus. I've been going to Mountain for seven to eight years now. It's definitely my home. And I'd like to thank you guys for investing in me as a leader and also for loving kids.
2: Hi, Mountain. This is Kat,
0: and I came to know Jesus Christ through my youth pastor in high school. And that relationship with Jesus just became deeper as I got involved in Mountain. Now
2: I'm here working with Apache Youth Ministries, sharing God's love with countless
0: youth on the white mountain apache reservation so thank you for investing in me and thank you for investing in kids
1: hey mountain you're speaking here with marquez i grew up here at mountain christian church and now i'm doing fca for god's kingdom thank you so much for investing in me and thank you for loving kids hi i'm kylie castings and i grew up at mountain now i'm working at missions of hope to build god's kingdom in kenya Thank you so much for investing in me, and thanks for loving kids all over the world.
0: Yeah. Thank you, thank you for investing in kids, for loving kids. It's interesting. So, Kylie, the last girl on the screen was
2: was in my first small group,
0: in your small group, and
1: was my RA in college. Was your RA in
0: college? Yes cool to hear from her from the other side of the world. And so I don't know where that leaves you and and how you'll respond to what you see in Jesus and what God is calling you to do. It may be that you'd want to serve in Mountain Kids or with student ministry. There'll be people out in the commons at all of our campuses. Ready to welcome you as a partner and say, hey, let's go, let's invest in the lives of children. Uh, if, if that's a way you're feeling led to respond. You know, there is some truth to the, the proverb that says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. Now, that, that's not an ironclad, you know, airtight rule. We're not robots. Everyone will make their own decisions. But there is something about that. I mean, when you think about, you know, what's the best way to unleash authentic leaders into our world? To love kids well. To be the real deal yourself. To lead kids well and share your life with them. What's the best way to to equip uh, people who will be reconcilers in a deeply divided world? Love kids well. Model repentance and forgiveness. What's the best way to, to have a, a group of people who uh, take responsibility and don't always blame other people? Love kids well. Help them feel secure in your, your love. Love them unconditionally. Don't uh, feel like they have to measure up in order to earn your love, but uh, hold them accountable. Call them to a standard and love them through it all. Teach them that love covers a multitude of sins. What's the best way to have a society where people aren't um, crippled by debt and drowning in materialism? Love kids well. Teach them uh, the opportunity that money provides and the cautions that should go along with that. Set boundaries. Learn to say no. Don't answer every angst in your child's life with a new thing. Love kids well. What's the best way to truly unleash disciples who are courageous and perseverant and ready to take on the challenges that face our world? Love kids well. Encourage them to try. Allow them to fail. Build them up. Celebrate their success. Put courage in them and let them go. Love kids well. We have to do that. However you have to do that, may God prompt you to serve with Mountain Kids, to serve in student ministry, to adopt a child, to fund someone else's adoption, to sponsor a child, to be more intentional in your parenting, to make the most of every phase, or simply to just get down on the level of every child you see and look them in the eye and speak 10 words of blessing so that they will know that they are seen and they are cared for and that God loves them. We have to do that, church. It's what we see in Jesus, and he's calling us to it. This is us, and we love kids. Let's pray. God thank you for your Thank you for your love for us. You have blessed us in so many ways. And you call us your children. We don't deserve that. We haven't earned that. But yet, we belong to you. We are part of your family. So teach us what it means to receive your kingdom like a child. Not as people who measure up or people who have to make something of themselves. But people who are loved just as we are. May we be ready to receive your grace and your love. And may we be ready to share it, particularly with children. Uh, May everyone who looks at this community be attracted and compelled by the way that we care for kids. May we look like Jesus in the way we prioritize and invest and encourage and equip and release children. Let that happen here. Make us that kind of